that you can blame the rain on her. She planted raspberries and they have to be watered every other day and she's not had time. So she's been praying for God to take care of it. So my wife's going to have a conversation with you after church tonight. Yeah, he's, he's taking care of it. So, all right. Let's open in a word of prayer. Loving Father, we do thank you for another glorious day. We thank you for the time we have to spend in your word this evening. Please guide our hearts and minds as we study through your word and what you would say to us. Help us, Lord, to learn what you would have us to learn. And uh, help us, Lord, to grow closer to you and to each other. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So glad that you're here. I understand that even more so in Alaska than other places, summer is such a time of travel, and so people are in and out all summer long. So glad that you're here this evening. We're going to be starting around Genesis 37 and working our way forward from there. To get us up to speed, last week we talked about Jacob and all of his kids. And uh, who was his favorite? Joseph. Now, how do we know that? Right, because the Bible says it. That's a pretty good way to know it. <laughs> Tracy, I like that one. What does the Bible? What else does the Bible tell us he did for him? Yeah, he gave him the special robe, the, the coat of many colors, we sometimes call it. There may be another translation for it. The only other time it's used is to describe an elaborate robe that David, King David's daughter had. So that tells you whatever it means. It's very elaborate, very colorful, very expensive. And it designated him as the favorite. Um, how did that endear Joseph to his brothers? Yeah, they, they really liked the idea of Joseph being the favorite, right? What else did Joseph do to make that better? Yeah, and it, so he tells them the dreams, but even before that, he does something. So I'm the fourth boy in my family. There's six of us. And I was very good because I had a brother nine years older, six years older, three years older. Then there was a gap and we had the stupid sister that messed it all up and threw things off and she became the favorite. But until then, my brothers were forced to take me places, right? They were all going somewhere. You got to take Stephen with you. And my mom did that for a couple reasons. One is anytime you can get rid of four kids out of the house, that's a brilliant thing. More importantly, what did she know she had with those three older brothers when I was there with them? Yeah, yeah, she had a spy, right? I mean, I would come home and I would debate. Do I want a cookie from mom for telling the right thing, and is it worth getting hit from my brothers? And that was the debate I would have each time, right? She had a built-in spy. And we see that Joseph comes back and tattles on his brothers, gives a bad report, and that makes them not like him. And then we have this dream or set of dreams. Does anybody remember what those dreams were? Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, star, sun, moon, right? Uh-huh. What was the sheaves, right? So he has this dream about the sheaves, and he tells his brothers. And what does, the, what does basically the dream mean? All of you are going to bow down to me. Yeah. So let me ask as we get started tonight, did Joseph have to tell this to his brothers? No. How did his brothers take it? Yeah, they got mad. They wanted to kill him. He has another dream. What does Joseph do with that dream? 
tells them again. So let's, we're going to talk about Joseph's life and, and some of the things he's going to go through. And most of us know that basic story. We're going to go through it. But before we do, I want us to take a minute to recognize Joseph's fault in his life. Joseph brought it upon himself. Let's make that very clear. Now, were his brothers innocent? No. Did God use the situation? Absolutely. We'll talk about both those things. But the reason that Joseph ended up where he was was because of his own sin, right? His own pride. And we don't recognize that Joseph went out and poked the sleeping bear. Even after the first mistake, right? He was 17 when he brought the bad report. So he's 17, 18, 19. We don't know. But even after the first mistake, and they say, we're going to kill you, he wisely has another dream and immediately tells him. Right? So let's recognize very clearly, Joseph picked a fight, and he lost. Now, eventually, God raises him up. God uses his sin. God uses his poor mistakes. But Joseph shouldn't have done that. And the reason I want to do that is because I want to take for just a second to learn a lesson. Joseph brought this upon himself. As Christians... We shouldn't go looking for the fight. And some of you are going to immediately say, oh, wait a minute, we're supposed to stand up. No, let's talk about this for a minute. We are to stand up against sin. We are to stand up against evil. But if we go looking for the fight, that's sinful. Okay? I'm going to think about this in the New Testament. Give me an example of where Jesus went into the world and stirred things up. Yeah, it's going to be hard, because 99% of the time, what Jesus did is he went to the religious leaders and said, hey, this isn't right. Give me an example. Yes. That was the religious leaders. Yeah. Yeah, that was the religious leaders who were in the temple, right? You couldn't be in the temple unless you were Jew, and you couldn't be in that part unless you were, right? So those were the religious leaders. Think about the apostle Paul when he went out into the world. What's the great example? The Acropolis. He goes after him, right? No. No, he doesn't. Yeah. He talks very reasonably. We see a very different approach that the apostles take and that Jesus takes when they're going into the world. They don't go out looking for a fight. In fact, do we see times when Jesus avoids a fight? Yeah. He disappears. He walks through a wall. He disappears through a crowd. Do we see a time where Paul avoids the fight? Why did, he, why did he appeal to Caesar? If it's all about the fight, why didn't he go out and fight the Jews right there? Because he knew he was going to die. Oh, but shouldn't he have been wanting to die? My point is, we sometimes make fights that we shouldn't be making. That doesn't mean we don't stand up against evil. But we don't bring, we don't bring persecution on ourselves for the wrong reason. So let me give you an example. And some of you won't like this example, but I'm going to use it because I know some of the story. Remember the Christian baker? Remember the Christian baker? Everybody liked that story? There were two different episodes. You like that, right? Isn't that somebody we should be proud of? I'm here to tell you I'm not proud of them. That person sinned. I know more to the story. That person picked the fight and said, I want to be the face of standing up against homosexual marriage. Well, that pride got him in big trouble. That person ridiculed the homosexuals that asked that wedding cake to be made, made fun of them, put them down, and insulted them. That's sin. Even if they were standing up for what's right, that is sin. But we as Christians got behind this Christian baker and supported him all the way, didn't we? 
We supported him to the Supreme Court, which, by the way, he sort of won, but not really. He got remanded back down to the lower courts, ended up getting fined anyway, $750,000 spent because someone's pride put him there. But we love the idea of standing up against those homosexuals, right? I mean, that's what we should have done. No, it was sin. And when we jumped in behind them, we were sinning right there with them because standing up against homosexual marriage is great. But supporting someone's prideful stance is sinful. So what we did is we took a position that brought all this persecution on us so that we could be the martyrs. Look at us, we're the martyrs. Anytime we stand up so that we get attention, it's sinful. Anytime we stand up because we want to win the fight, it's sinful. He was persecuted for being Jesus. If we are persecuted for being Christians, that's different. He didn't go pick the persecution. He didn't go out and say on day one, I'm Jesus, come kill me. In fact, he avoided being killed until the time was come by his father. So there's a difference. Jesus didn't want to be persecuted. Remember, what did Jesus say? If there's any other way, let this cup pass. He did it because he knew he had to. Jesus didn't do it so that he would be glorified. He did it so that we would be saved. He also wasn't cruel to the sinners. You think about that. Yes. That, yeah, it was known that he, he actually, the original report was he made fun of them, insulted them, and said, I'm not going to do it because you are a, and made use some very derogatory terms. Yeah. No, it's not good, but... We love to stand up against the sin. And again, please understand, I'm not saying we don't stand up against sin. But we don't. Why didn't he just say I wasn't going to do it? Why didn't he just say I'm not going to do it? Why didn't he just say it goes against my beliefs, I'm not going to do it? Mm -hmm. He mocked them, made fun of them, and he even said in the report, I want to be the face of those who stand up against homosexuality. I want to be, you see the problem? If my position is I want to be glorified through my stance, I'm in, I'm in sin, period, or whatever the stance is. Period. It is never, ever about me. It is always about God. And that's the problem. We can stand up for what's right and still be in sin. Absolutely, 100%. We can stand up for what's right. We can preach against sin and be sinning ourselves and preaching against it. That is not to say we don't preach against it. But we always, always do it for the right reasons. Why did Joseph tell his brothers? Because I'm the favorite and you're... What are his brothers going to (laughs) do? Okay, Joseph. No. Why'd you do that, Joseph? That's what every brother in the history of the world would have done. Would have smacked him upside the head or punched him. Now, admittedly, killing him and throwing him in a pit and selling him to slavery is a little extreme. I'll admit that. But what did he expect? Now, you may say, wait a minute. James tells us to rejoice in persecution, correct? First Peter says we should rejoice in trials. But neither one talk about going to get them. And they both talk about the fact that we rejoice because it makes us like Christ. So our sufferings better be like Christ for the right reasons, for the right motivation, under the right pretense. Joseph went looking for a fight, and he lost. 
Now, God uses it, but he lost. And again, I think if you go through the New Testament, you will see very few examples of where the world is attacked by Jesus. You'll see lots of examples where the religious leaders are attacked by Jesus. Now, Jesus preaches against sin repeatedly, right? But when he sees the world in sin, what is his reaction most of the time? Compassion. Sheep without a shepherd. These people are wandering aimlessly. The crop is ready. We need people to go harvest. Now, he holds us, and I'm going to put us in this category because we're the religious, right? Those who know about God, he holds you to a different standard. That doesn't mean that others are going to get in heaven by not being saved. I don't mean that. But he tells us, yeah, you know better. Those people out there, they're pitiful. Don't you have compassion on the fact that they're going to go to hell? So let's do something about that. He doesn't go out there and go, you're a drunk. (laughs) You deserve to go to hell. You never see that with Jesus. You never see that sort of response. Joseph goes to his brothers. He's like, I'm the favorite. You're going to serve me. Oh, you don't like that? Guess what? You're going to serve me even more, and so's dad. What did you expect them to do? So we just have to be careful as Christians. There are ways to stand up for what's right, but still follow Romans 12. As much as it is available to you, pursue peace, right? We are to be peaceable, peaceable people. Again, we do see Jesus drive out the money changers. We have a hundred examples of where he was peaceable, one where he stood up against the money changers. That's probably a pretty good ratio in our lives. We better be careful standing up. We better be right for the right reasons, for the right time. So, Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. So the example they're given, and they're two very good ones. One of them I have in my notes. Well, Jesus, of course, I have in my notes with the Pharisees. But then the, the first Christian martyr and Stephen, right? Both of them, both times, we see Jesus multiple times very stern to the Pharisees, the religious leaders. And we see Stephen very stern to the religious leaders. But again, one, those are the religious leaders who knew better. They had the word. They had the truth. They were holding them to a very high standard. And both times, because they had the truth, you see that they use Scripture and truth to say, you should know this. This is something you should be familiar with. But they aren't belittling them. We do see a few times that Jesus says things, and you know it was kind of one of those where he took the mic and dropped it and walked away. I mean, we do see some, some pretty good times like that. 
but he's not belittling them to the point of humiliation where he leaves them no choice. Now, does he say things that are going to get him killed? Yes. Jesus had a three-year mission to get to the cross. Or a, a, a career, sorry, three, three years of active ministry, 33 years of life, in eternity to get to the cross. I apologize the way I said that. But the timing had to be right. But when Jesus said things that was going to get him killed, it was Scripture. And it was to the religious leaders. And it's not because... It's not because he was trying to get himself killed. It was because what they were doing went against Scripture, and they knew better. So let me ask this. I mean, I'll just put it out there. When was the last time attacking the world ever converted anybody to Christ? And I mean that. When was the last time going out into the world and attacking sin ever converted anybody to Christ? Here's the circular argument that will never, ever work. You go into the world, and I don't mean to pick on it, but it's an easy one. Homosexuality is wrong. I don't think it, the world says, I don't think it's wrong. It's a sin you're going to hell. Will that ever, ever, ever change anybody? No, because they don't even recognize it as a sin because they don't recognize God. They don't recognize Jesus. So it's a circular argument to say, well, it's a sin because Jesus said so. I don't believe in Jesus. Well, it's a sin because the Bible said so. I don't believe in the Bible. Well, it's a sin you're going to hell. That never, ever, ever will anybody be saved that way. You first bring them to Jesus. What did Paul do on the Acropolis? Let me tell you about this God. You want to bring people to Christ? You've got to tell them about Christ first. I have later in my notes, you know the problem? We preach too much about what we're against and not, a much, not enough about who we're for. And please understand, I am... I am as conservative as they come when it comes to interpreting sin. You're not going to find much where you say, well, he must be written. No, I'm not watering down the gospel. But I also know a futile argument is to go out in the world and say, drug addiction is a sin. Really, that's going to convert a lot of people. Zero, 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 zero. You will never, ever, ever. You can't give me a single example in the last three decades worldwide of that ever happening. It will not be effective. We bring them to Christ, and then we say Christ doesn't tolerate sin, and this is what sin is. We don't go out picking a fight for the sake of picking a fight. It will never bring glory to God, and that's what matters, bringing glory to God and people to heaven. But we too often want to pick our fight. So if you're ever picking a fight, ask this, why am I picking the fight? Is it to be right? Well, that's a sin. Is it because I want to win the argument? That's a sin. Is it because I want people to know that I am? That's a sin. Is it to bring glory to God? Absolutely. Is it to help somebody come to know God? Absolutely. But again, that changes the way I do it, how I do it, the motivation, the tone, everything changes. Right? And we forget that. It's too easy to pick the fight. It's hard to pick it the right way. All right. Sorry, soapbox. Kick it out of the way now. Okay. So because of Joseph's wonderful attitude, the brothers plot to kill him. Okay. And so there's this situation where um, Jacob calls Joseph in and says, I want you to go spy on your brothers. Right. Bring me a report. Go out there keeping the flock. He goes to one area. They're not there anymore. He goes to another area. When they see him coming from a distance... They say, oh, the dreamer's coming. Here comes that Joseph. Let's kill him. 
Okay. One of the brothers, anybody remember who it was that had some reason about him? Yeah, Reuben, right? The oldest is like, hey, wait a minute. Mm, killing them's a little harsh. Why don't we throw them in a pit? I was hoping there was more options than those two, but apparently that's what it came down to. We're either going to kill them or throw them in a pit. But they, he decides he's going to talk them into throwing them in a pit, and that way we can come back later and rescue them. And so they throw them in this pit, and then these Midianite traders come by, and they sell him into slavery. Okay? Um, when we look at the story of Joseph, we know the, how it plays out, right? We know 20 years, 40 years later, okay, and what God uses it for. Because of that, do we sometimes forget that what his brothers did were sin, was sinful? I mean, we think, oh, God is using the He has the brothers sell him into slavery. No, make no bones about it. God does not make people sin, Okay. God does not make people sin. They will do about his business, but if God made him sin, that goes against the very nature of God. God is using the sins of the brothers to accomplish his will. Could God have saved the Israelites through other means? Absolutely. Could he have sent one of the other brothers, or Joseph, through another means? Absolutely. Could they have simply gone to buy grain later? Absolutely. But God is using this situation, the brother's sin, to bring about redemption later. Um, I, I think it, it becomes very challenging when we start talking about the providence of God. And I will tell you, this is an area I struggle with. And we'll see it when we talk about the ten plagues. Um, what does God cause versus what does God allow versus what does God use? And that's a real challenge for me in my life. Okay, Did God cause the brothers to sin? I just think it goes against the nature of God to cause sin. Did God allow the brothers to sin? That would make sense. Their nature was, they were mad, they were angry, they had this nature within them. And did God use it? Well, that would make sense as well. So I don't know that I can always answer what does God cause, what does he allow, and what does he use. And that's very relevant to us today. Did God cause, you name them, X, Y, or Z to be president? Did he allow X, Y, or Z? Does he use X, Y, or Z? And I'm not just talking about the United States. Did he raise up a Saddam Hussein? I don't know. Or did he use a Saddam Hussein? We see him raise up evil people to accomplish his will in the Old Testament. Putin, Xi, you name it. What I do know is God can use things. And what I do know is God allows free will, meaning sin, and sin sometimes changes what God wants to happen. We make the mistake of saying God's will is always done. Let, let me make sure we put some caveat there. In the end, God's will will always be done. But in the individual actions, God's will is that all men is be saved. So God's will is not always done in every action. If so, all men would be saved. God doesn't want people to sin. Mm-hmm. So we're told that God raises up governments and brings down governments, but we also see where God removes men that he doesn't want in power. 
And so I don't know that it's a – I think we make a mistake when we say everybody who gets to be president of whatever country, God put them there because free will occurs and sin occurs because we see God wanted Saul to be king. Then he wanted Saul to no longer be king. He stayed king for a while. God's will would be that Saul was removed and David was in, but it took a while for that to happen. And we see God raise people up that he doesn't want to be there anymore. So I think it is an overgeneralization. We sometimes take a, we, we do that in that Romans verse where we take a phrase out and say, well, every single person that God puts in power, God put them there. God can use everybody, but it's not a blanket 100% statement because we see examples in the Bible of where it's not true. So we know there has to be exceptions to it. Mm-hmm. Right. So sin can affect things, but so can prayer. So can a righteous man. Abram's the example you gave. Moses. Don't we see Moses? We'll talk about that. There's a troubling phrase that occurs, but it's not troubling when you study it that God repented of his judgment. That does not say God was sinning. Remember, repentance can occur outside of sin. It's a turning away. Moses convinces God to change his mind. I use that word mind because I don't know how else to describe the mind of God, right? So yes, there are man's interactions. If God's actions never change, then why would we pray? Other than as a command, right? If God never answers prayers, never responds to prayers, never changes what he's doing because of prayer, then our prayers are futile. We're doing it simply because God commanded us to do it. We know that's not the case. So God's will will be done, but not in each and every action and situation. Because God's will is that every man be saved. Every man is not going to be saved. Right? We have free will. There is sin. God doesn't want anyone to sin. God doesn't want anyone to go to hell. In the end, mankind will be saved and people will be in hell. God wins. There is no doubt. There is no doubt about who wins. But the idea that in every situation God's will is always done is not the case. We are mistaken when we say that. Right? God will use every situation. Now, we're also mistaken when we say all things work together for good. Right? What's the rest of that verse say? For those... To love the Lord in accordance, you go down another verse, in accordance to his will. Because when a two-year-old dies from a car wreck, oh, God, God, God wanted this, he's going to use it for good. No, 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 no. But that two-year-old is in heaven, and God will use that situation for good, and there will be people prepared to help someone else grieve later in life because of what they went through. But the idea that God wanted a two-year-old to die so that the parents could grieve? No. Sin, free will, right? The laws of life. There are things that occur in this world. God's will will be done, but not in each and every situation. God didn't want the brothers to sin here. He could have taken Joseph to Egypt any number of a hundred ways. He could have had a magic flying unicorn that took him there, right? He's God. But God used their sin and their actions to bring about what he needed. So God will use whatever situation is there. So Acts 16 is, is another verse you can go to where Paul talks about, or where Luke talks about 
God opening doors and closing doors. So we know he is active. We know things change. And we know prayer has an impact. But I, I can't readily teach and tell you what's the difference between what God causes, allows, and uses. And it is one of the more troubling things, not troubling, one of the more difficult things to grasp my human mind around. Um, because I've had to do it, and I'm sure you have as well. If you've ever done any counseling or where people come to you and they're facing the death of a child, the death of a loved one, uh, a cancer diagnosis, a bad situation, it is hard to go through what's well, all according to God's will. It may not be, and I want to make that very clear. God may not have wanted that person to get cancer, but that person made a choice to smoke for 40 years. Or that person had gene defects or was exposed to something. So God is going to use that situation. Remember, God's will is that all will be saved. Is that going to happen? So then we know that there are things that go against God's will on a regular basis. So, All right, questions or comments about that? Sorry, I went down a path... I've not made it as far into my notes yet, but we're doing good. I'm open to discussion. But if, Tony, that's right. Mm-hmm. So did God cause it, allow it, or use it? I don't know. And that's a hard one. When you, I'm sure you've had to counsel people before who've come to you and said, why did God allow this to happen? Or why did God cause this to happen? And I, a lot of times the answer is, I don't know. I, I, I'm not God. And I don't see the big picture. Right? Ow. I don't see the big picture. So what I have to do, and we're going to talk about this with Joseph, what I have to do is be faithful to God. God will use it. He'll use me. He allowed it. He caused it. I don't know. Because I don't know what this term means. And we'll talk about this one. It's, a, it's one of the more troubling terms that I try to study. When God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Ooh, that's a tough one. You can think on that. We'll talk about that in a couple of weeks. That's a tough one because did he cause Pharaoh to sin? Well, I get back to my original discussion. God does not cause sin. It is against his nature to be around sin. God does not tempt us. He may try. He may put us through trials. But So here's my lesson. Joseph now, he's sold into captivity, and we're going to talk about the specifics there. We know the end of the story with Joseph. Does Joseph know where he's headed? Does he know what's going to happen? No. Yeah. Does Joseph know that God's going to bless him in Potiphar's house yet? No. Does he know what's going to happen in prison yet? Does he know what's going to happen with the famine yet? He knows none of it. We forget that at this point, this is 18, 19, 20-year-old who just got sold into slavery. But what we see is in the midst of all of it, Right? We gave, I gave Joseph a bad time for being the brat brother, right? And I've been there. I've been the brat brother. But from that point on, what we see in Joseph's life is he was faithful to God. He doesn't know where he's headed. He doesn't know what's next. He doesn't know if he's ever getting out of prison, if he's ever getting out of slavery. He doesn't know if he's going to live or die. But what we see is Joseph is faithful to God, and we're going to see that repeatedly. And it gets back to what Tony said. I can only tell you what's in the Bible and then I'm called to be faithful to God. And that's what I'm called to be. Even if I can't tell you whether God caused it, allowed it, or used it, whether this was God's will or not, whether God raised up the president or the emperor or whoever, or he's using the one who's there, I'm called to be faithful to God. Because we forget that since we know the story, Joseph did not at this point. 
All right, so Joseph gets sold into slavery, and he ends up where? What is, where is his first place that he lands? As a job, so to speak. Yeah, Potiphar. And who was Potiphar? Yeah, he's a pretty important guy. Because later, when he has Joseph thrown in prison, he's put in the king's prison. This is captain of the guard. We sometimes think a captain like there would have been a major and a general. No, this is captain as in there will be a handful in all of Egypt type of captain. You know, he's a big honcho, right? And Joseph ends up in his household. God sees Joseph's faithfulness and rewards him by raising him up to the top of that household. And now we have Joseph in chapter 39 where he's basically in charge of Potiphar's house. So even as a slave, God blesses him. And he's now in charge of Potiphar's house and, and essentially makes the decisions for the household. Potiphar said he, he has, or Joseph said, You're, my master has no worry of anything. He's entrusted it all to me. But then like most things in this world, it all goes south with a woman. I am just kidding. Oh, that was on tape. That went out. My wife can see that. I was just kidding. That was a joke. Okay. But that's a <laughs> But we see now we have Potiphar's wife. Joseph is very good looking. Again, I'm used to being the favorite and the best looking, so I can sympathize with Joseph here, right? Joseph is very good looking according to the scripture. He was good, good to look at. And Potiphar's wife is lusting after him, and day after day she's throwing herself at him. She's making a move at him. Day after day, right? And Joseph resists day after day. And he makes a statement in Genesis 39 when he's resisting her. He talks about the fact that Potiphar has raised me up. He's given me all this responsibility. And so what does he say? Oh, so I can't, I can't have sex with you because Potiphar trusts me. No. Oh, I can't be with you because I'm an important person. No. He makes a very important statement. How can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Had nothing to do with Potiphar. Had nothing to do with her. Had nothing to do with him. I can't do this not because I'm an important person, because he's made me powerful, because I might lose my position, because Potiphar trusts me. How can I sin against God? That's the faithfulness that Joseph had. Has God been with him? Well, he's been raised up, but he's in slavery. He was the favorite of a rich man, had the fancy coat, and now he's in slavery, but he's still faithful to God. The lesson here, every sin is a sin against God. And we so easily say that, but don't think through that. Isaiah 59 says, But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you. Every sin, so that means come April when I fill out my taxes, it is a sin against God if I'm not honest. But will the government ever know? Does the government deserve the money? I, I work for a big company. Does it matter if I take a few hours off? That's theft, right? That's theft. I took hours off that I was getting paid for. What about those little things? That, do they really matter? As a Christian, every sin is a sin against God. Every sin. Joseph says, it has nothing to do with what Potiphar's given me. It has nothing to do with the position I am. How can I do this great wickedness against God? And that's important for us. 
The wages of sin is death. Not the wages of bad sin. Not the wages of the really serious sins. Not the wages of the sins that I don't like. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. Every sin is a sin against God. Including those that the company will never know. My spouse will never know. My friends will never know. The government doesn't matter. I don't agree with how the company spends its money. The government spends its money. It doesn't matter. It's just a couple hours that I'm taking off from work without anybody knowing. None of those things matter to God. Every sin is a sin against God. Joseph's faithfulness in that is why God continues to reward him. So Potiphar's wife lied. Joseph gets put in prison in uh, Genesis 39 and verse 20, right? So Potiphar's upset throws him in prison okay even in prison god sees his faithfulness god raises him up and before too long we see joseph running the prison the prisoner is placed over everybody else and everything else even when new prisoners come in because we see this with the with the king with pharaoh's uh, cupbearer right and we see this with his uh, baker even when new prisoners come in they are put under joseph for him to watch them That's what we see there. Joseph is raised up to be the head of the prison. He is rewarded. But guess what? He's still in prison. And he's in prison for years. But he's still faithful during that time. We see the end of the story. Joseph doesn't. God hasn't magically told Joseph, I'm going to rescue you out of prison. He hasn't magically told Joseph, I'm going to raise you up to be second in charge. There's no prophecy we see before this that Joseph knows coming. All he knows is, I'm in prison. In fact, he even says, I really want to get out so I can get home to my family. Right? And then God sends in the cupbearer and the baker. They are Pharaoh's cupbearer and baker. They each have a dream. Nobody can interpret them. It bothers them. Joseph interprets them correctly. One is going to be raised back up in three days and be restored. The other is going to be killed. Yeah. Sure enough, three days later, it happens. And... The cupbearer, I, have to, I always have to, even after looking at it tonight, the cupbearer is raised back up, the baker's killed. Yes. So the cupbearer is raised back He says, hey, when you get restored, please remember me. Now, you would think somebody interpreted your dream, predicted the future, it came true, that you would probably be thankful and remember them. But somewhere along the way, we go several more years before Pharaoh starts having dreams and needs an interpreter. And the person goes, you know what? I remember a few years ago, there was this, this prisoner who interpreted my dream. And now we see God's use, his plan, his way of salvation for the Israelites coming all the way around. Because Joseph is given an opportunity to interpret Pharaoh's dream, right? And in doing so, he gets raised up to be the term I always use is vice pharaoh, right? right? We have a vice president. Let's make it clear. He was much more powerful than a president or a vice president, right? Pharaoh was considered a god, and he is the, Joseph is the second in command in all of Egypt. Nothing is withheld from him save the throne is what Pharaoh says. And so Joseph predicts, Joseph predicts the seven years of feast, seven years of famine, and we'll talk about that some next week. Um, but I want to talk about where Joseph interprets the dream. And before he does, he says something to Pharaoh again. 
that I think is uh, that I think is, is is great to read, and that's in Genesis chapter forty and verse eight. Joseph is called out to interpret the dreams. He has the ability to interpret the dream before Pharaoh, and before he interprets it, does he say to Pharaoh, "Hey, I'm going to give you this interpretation." What does he do? What is the line he says to Pharaoh before he interprets his dreams? It's God. That's right. Oh, I'm not going to be the one. It's going to be God. God's about to interpret your dream. Joseph, after years in prison, years as a slave, lost everything, he still says, hey, it's God. He is still faithful to God. He is still giving credit to God. He is still glorifying God. Our lesson in everything we accomplish and do, let's make sure we point, you know, you're starting to see a theme when I teach, to God, right? Because it is so easy. If I could interpret dreams, I'm here to tell you, I'm going to be making a dollar a minute on the 1-900 calls to people, right? I'm going to interpret dreams and make some big money. It's not about me. It's not about my ability because that ability came from God. It's not about my accomplishments because they came from God. Joseph, in the midst of all of that, says, no, no, I'm not going to interpret it. Don't interpretations belong to God? God will interpret it for you. And then he says after the interpretation, God is telling you what's going to happen. God is showing you what's going to happen. God has reassured you this is going to happen. Not, I'm telling you, this is what's going to happen. I'm telling you, I'm, I'm going to show you. God, God, God. Interpretations belong to God. God is showing you. God is telling you. God is reassuring you and affirming. It is all about what God is doing. So why did God raise him up in Potiphar's house? Why did he raise him up in prison? Why did he raise him up in Egypt? Because Joseph repeatedly gives credit where credit is due. God, God, God. Again, let's go back to my first point. If Joseph spent his teenage years saying, God showed me this or God showed me that, he might have had a different pathway. I think God would have still raised him up because we see his plan. And so that's my lesson for me is, if I don't make it about God, then I'm wrong. Anytime it's about me, anytime it's about being right, anytime it's about winning the argument, that is wrong. That is what sin is. It is always, always, always about God. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, right? It is never about Stephen, Stephen, Stephen. And if your name's not Stephen, fill in your name. All right, questions or comments? Laments, interjections? Exclamations? All right, thank you all very much. Uh, Remember, the children will not be coming back in from VBS until 8 o'clock, so...